Welcome to You Down, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Defund the police is hella simple and straightforward. It is exactly what it sounds like. Take their money and redistribute it. That's exactly what we mean. So when people say, oh, they don't mean take their money. No, yes, we do. We mean take their money. everyone and welcome back to you down a podcast where four funny honeys come together to talk about what's going on in the culture i'm mamia aforo i'm shakira Junaid pay i'm yasmin Monet watkins and i'm ashley holston but collectively we are known as obama's other daughters oh cool. And this week, I'm so hyped that we are talking about and asking, are you down with the uprising? We're talking about the revolution that surged shortly after Minneapolis PD murdered George Floyd and how to sustain ongoing movement work. As Black women, we are deeply impacted by the criminal injustice system. And as heavy as Black death and liberation can be, I remember how much it helped uplift, bring levity, hope, and joy to my spirits to catch up with OOD and check in with each other in a real way. We laughed, we cried, and are figuring out our way forward together. Joining us for this conversation is co-founder of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, professor of Pan-African Studies at Cal State LA, and mom of three, Dr. Melina Abdullah. But before we speak with her, let's sort of delve into that. Where were you guys around George Floyd's murder? How are you feeling right now? And what does activism look like for y'all? When George Floyd was murdered, I was in Minneapolis, um, a suburb of Minneapolis, about 20 minutes outside. And I felt, I think it was, we, we had work to do that day. And I had to call and say, I can't do this mm. because I was in the shower before we were supposed to meet and I was bawling in the shower. Like I had never felt that. Of course, I'm an empath, so I feel everything. But yeah. I had never felt that gravity of hurt and confusion and sadness and anger and pain in the way that it was literally debilitating to me. I couldn't do my work. And that's never happened to me in my life before. And thank you guys for allowing us to take that day off from the work that we needed to do. But it could wait because... I, I felt like I was mourning the death of a family member mm. to the point that mm -hmm. I couldn't eat. I, I sat and wrote an essay that was like 20 pages long because I had so many feelings that mm -hmm. I couldn't. There was no talking to my family or ta talking to you guys. None, none of that seemed to alleviate the pressure that was going on in like, oh, my gosh, like the world is burning outside and I can't stop it by myself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And especially growing up in Minnesota and knowing the Minnesota niceness and how undercut racism is in the community there um, and mm. sugarcoated and made to be digestible. It just was like a damn breaking of me realizing all of the things that I felt growing up, all those moments. I think I've told you one of my best friends even apologized. Like sometimes you would say somebody's staring at me. Isn't that weird? And I'd be like, oh, they weren't staring at you. Like she would make 
um, excuses or exceptions for things that I would complain about growing mm-hmm. out that had to do with race. And for her to come in tears apologizing to me about that moved me to tears because it just felt like a, some sort of... Um, like people say when you have a baby and the placenta comes out, it's the most like liberal because the pressure is relieved. Like mm. it poked a hole in something that I have been living in and operating in my whole life. Whew, that was a lot. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like um, similarly to Mamia, it did feel like um, losing a family member. Um, I felt kind of the same impact when um, Trayvon Martin died. And I remember that was like the first time I like felt the call to be active and to get involved. And then um, George Floyd kind of reawoke that, that feeling like, oh, wow, it's still happening. And I think it was a little more intense with George Floyd, but also reminiscent of what, what could we, what can we do? You know, it's it feels like it's always happening. And even when we get involved and we say, see our humanity and uh, stop killing us, nothing changes. So it for me, it felt like, again, like a little defeated, a little defeated. I feel like every person should, but at least every black person falls into like this temporary depression when we hear that somebody else has been killed again or another unarmed person has been shot. And it's it's just like a rehashing of trauma every span of time until mm-hmm. we hear the next hashtag or the next person who's experienced this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the beginning of pandemic, Ahmaud Arbery had been shot and I was on a hike and I was talking about how nothing was going to be done. Like there was no video. And I was talking to um, my friend from England and uh, she was just like, I just don't get it. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, that's what the report says, like that they shot him and he was running alone. And I had a incident where I was in Harford County, Maryland, running on a jog and like these uh, white people came out and called me the N-word and I felt scared. And I was like in a very uh, already angry space just based Mm. off of imagining like the fear that Ahmaud had been in. And then when George Floyd happened, it was like the whole world was just like crying because you feel helpless in a way where... You know, people have been fighting for a change from generation to generation to generation. It's just like, you know, it's just so exhausting. And I felt like I know I felt the fear of it and the sadness around it. And I also did feel like um, after all of the pain, like a little hopeful because this was the most uh, uh, seen people show up, people that don't show up. Or even people reaching out to me to, you know, have conversations. I really was like, oh, this y'all all saw this man die on tape, um, murdered, <laughs> you know. So it, it was it was painful. And I was definitely um, at like a bunch of protests within that week just because, you know, you just feel motivated to try to do something and be a part of the change you want to see. That little bit of hope is like it resonates with me so deeply because my first big protest of any sort was back in like 2016. 
It was a meeting that turned into a march and we like formed like a peace sign. But I remember when we were marching, we passed by the 7-Eleven where um, Keisha Michaels and her partner were gunned down by the police while they were asleep in their car. And I remember being like, these are real ass people. And when I think about like George Floyd, of course, for all of us, it hits so heavy. And I was also just like, there are so many George Floyds that we never hear about. Mm -hmm. Um, In LA, because there had been over 600 people that had been killed by the police since Jackie Lacey has been in office. Like, I was just like, again, 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 again. Like, it just, it really does feel so heavy. But that part about hope where I was like, you know, having been organizing BLM since 2016 and sort of seeing, you know, the police commission meetings and like even the Jackie Lacey protests to see people show up and to see people like I finally like I was like something I've heard someone say was like, it's like the world cracked open. Right. And that we were finally feeling enough to to actually do something about it. And with enough of us combined, we can bring down this system that makes it okay to kill Black folks. And now is the time that it can actually happen, Mm -hmm. you know? And so in seeing George Floyd's death, it sort of reinvigorated, recommitted my passion. And um, I feel like for a bunch of folks, just like, this is crazy. Like, it's happening in broad daylight and let's do something about it. You know, and it touched other countries like yeah. I, mean, I saw people protesting everywhere. Yeah. And I feel like that is an important point about the concept of protest and what that means to people in mm-hmm. general on all ends of the spectrum, because I definitely felt at a certain point like I posted something on social media discussing how. Um, basically having a fake conversation with somebody and asking them why they haven't posted about what's going on and everything. And most of the feedback was positive, but a lot of it was calling me stupid and saying all kinds of things of like um, George Floyd's murder had nothing to do with race, like literally just off base thoughts. And that's by and large how so many of these trolls hiding behind a cartoon account, yeah, yeah, a fake account Mm -hmm. are using their voice on social media to try to combat the work that other people are trying to, or the conversations that other people are trying to start. But I, I just, I think it's important to discuss how, Yes, certain modes of protest are louder and more visible than others, but that also doesn't mean that mentoring or taking a small step um, to speak up at your job when you see something um, are also valid forms of protesting. I love that Angela Davis says, do your work where you are. If you're not the one that's going to the front lines and protesting, like there's still something that you have that you can contribute to the movement. And so let's try to use our platform in the service of Black lives in the ways that are requested. And I think that's something that comes up for me a lot because the movement is asking and saying right now, like, let's defund the police and reimagine what safety, public safety can look like. It it looks like uh, money for education. It looks like money for healthcare, for mental health. How can we make sure that that happens in each facet of our lives? We all can do something in our own special way. I agree. <laughs> I know this is a heavy topic too. It's like, obviously we, you know, are comedians and we are also black women. And it's like, 
this is a part of our lived experience too. You know, well, comedy isn't going to be a bulletproof vest when you get right. pulled over. And I just like meeting some of the family members of those here in L.A. whose uh, sister, daughter, niece were stolen by state sanctioned violence. It feels like your family member, you know, that literally I'm about to start tearing up because I I had a moment when I wrote for the show uh Talks with Mama Tina, um, with Tina Knowles Lawson. It was like this little voting time Instagram show that she was doing. And Trayvon Martin's mom, Sabrina Fulton, and Breonna Taylor's mom, Tamika Palmer, were guests. And we were working over Zoom, but through the screen, I could literally feel their pain. You know what I mean? And Trayvon's mom, Sabrina Fulton, ran for county commissioner in Florida, but she lost, um, I think, by like 1% or something. But I just think that's so inspiring that, yes, her son was murdered um, in such a gruesome way, but she's still finding the strength to to use her voice and the platform that she was given um, and try to do it in such a great way, you know, by running for office. So... My heart goes out to her and all of the mothers of the movement and all the people, family members who've experienced um, the tragedy of losing someone to gun violence, specifically in the hands of police. Heart-wrenching. But I really, I believe in the power of the collective, right? Like that, you know, it happened to Emmett Till's mom. It happened to Trayvon Martin's mom, right? Like there are these individual cases, but all of us together being like, you know, I see my sister is in trouble over there. So let me do something about it. And working and organizing together, like we have the power. And I feel like the cops, the, the you know, Republicans, they're, they're shook right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they're scared because the status quo is changing. And um, one little thing, I really enjoyed uh, Jacob Blake's sister's speech Mm. and like just really exemplifying that at the end of the day, we're humans. And like the level of humanity is, you know, like remember him as father, this and that. But also he's a human being. Um, Yeah, that's all I had to say. That's (laughs) really it. (laughs) We've been talking. <laughs> a lot of feelings, guys. A lot of feelings. And that's I think that's okay. So we gonna work it out. Yes, I agree, yes. A brighter day is ahead for sure. And with all of the civil unrest following the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, of course, countless others, um, we want to discuss what we can do to show up for the cause. And helping us do that is special guest Dr. Melina Abdullah, who is one of the original organizers behind the Black Lives Matter movement. But first, we will take a little break. Welcome back, friends. As many of you who've ever attended our Black Girl Magic show knows, OOD loves to honor and uplift Black women. And there's this notion of giving Black women their flowers now. And as we're navigating this often heavy conversation around liberation work, we're so honored to be joined by Dr. Melina Abdullah. 
<laughs> that was a crowd cheering. Yes. Dr. Molina is a recognized expert on race, gender, class, and social movements. She was among the original group of organizers that convened to form Black Lives Matter and continues to serve as the Los Angeles chapter lead, policy team lead for the California chapters, and contributes to leadership for the Global Network. Welcome, 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 Dr. Molina Abdullah. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here with y'all. Yasmin, you know you're one of my favorite people. So we'll keep it. Um, oh, Melita. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, becoming is, of course, a process. And a lot of folks are talking about how uh, this is the first time they've participated in a protest, how it changed their lives. Um, what was that moment for you? What galvanized you to action? So I don't have a moment when I stepped into activism. I was born into it. Um, so I was born in Oakland in the 1970s. And, you know, consciousness is in the air. I'm of the Panther Cub generation that all of our parents were in and around the Black Panther Party, were doing work that was about radically reimagining and ushering in a transformed world. So I remember being a toddler on picket lines and at protests. <laughs> wow. Wow. There you yeah. go. She started real young. Came well, out the was womb. that because your parents were a part of the movement at the time? It, and you saying you were born into it. Were they yeah. already active and you were their Absolutely. active baby? Absolutely. <laughs> and in ways that we don't always think about. So. Um, I think for Black women especially, we need to absolutely lift up that, you know, our activism takes many shapes. And so some people point to my father, who was a member of an organization, but it was my mother who I actually um, learned most of my activism from. She was a school teacher and a community other mother, and she would, you know, teach her kids at a regular school, but then her station wagon would hit the block. She drove a Volvo station wagon, which is hell allowed. And it would hit the block <laughs> and all the kids in the neighborhood would yell, it's time for school. And she would like sit out on the porch until it got dark and teach all the kids to read. And, you know, wow. um, that's what black women do right? As well as organizing and protesting mm -hmm. and speaking and doing all the things that are traditionally thought of as activism. We need to think about the role of community. Other mothers is really holding us together. And as we talk about like abolition mm. and, you know, um, reimagining public safety, it's been the Black women that have created safe communities and sustainable and free and loving communities. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that is so profound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just the, the concept of the mothering factor of it and how, whether we like it or not, as Black women, we're looked at as a maternal figure in the community um, because we're the ones who are going to hold it down when nobody That's else right. will. When it's, mm. yeah. So we've heard you speak about the ancestors as being a part of the movement. Dig into that. Who are uh, some Black women who inspire you? Well, so just the ancestral piece, we need to remember that getting to Black freedom has always been about the work that we do on the ground, but also the invisible work, the way in which spirit and our ancestors move. And, you know, when we think about, mm -hmm. you know, how we toppled chattel slavery, you know, 
um, the unapologetic way in which Mama Harriet Tubman talked about God speaking to her, right? The willingness to hear those mm-hmm. voices is really, really important. And really, I think, affirms our victory. It makes our victory assured because it's bigger than what we can see or feel physically. So in terms of my favorite ancestors, absolutely, I feel like I have a special relationship with Mama Harriet Tubman. Um, I have a special relationship with Ella Baker, um, my own grandmother, you know, and then there's, you know, some who we struggle on behalf of that I hear, like, I remember the moment when I got that Black Lives Matter is a spiritual movement primarily, and it was Ezel Ford's presence um, that did that for me. And so, you know, there's a lot moving, and um, I don't know if it's even okay to say I have favorite ancestors, but if I did... It would be <laughs> the other ancestors are like hanging what out. Like, what about me? All, yeah. all the ancestors. Thank you, but Mama Harriet, Mama Harriet, Mama Ella Baker. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned it just a little bit there about Black Lives Matter also being a spiritual movement and I think there's a lot of confusion as to what Black Lives Matter stands for so the central mission is to end state sanctioned violence against Black people right and in doing that Mm -hmm. really what you're talking about is transforming the world because this entire world is built on state-sanctioned violence against Black people. So we're talking about not simply reforming policing or reforming education or reforming the way the economy works. We're talking about transforming it. And so we're an abolitionist movement. We believe in the toppling of systems that were built deliberately and intentionally to keep us oppressed, envisioning and building new systems. We're in the middle of history right now. And are there any historical moments that you feel tie into what we're experiencing now specifically? Sure. I think that a lot of people want to talk about this Black Lives Matter movement moment. But the way that Black freedom struggle, I see it working, is along an unbroken trajectory, right? So Black people never submitted to our own oppression. So when they came to the continent and invaded our communities, we resisted. And you talked about ancestors. One of the ancestors I always call out is Yasantewa, right? That's my name, girl. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. <laughs> you got a lot to live up to. Yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, but the way that we've always struggled and we've struggled in many different ways. I love the book by Robin Kelly, Race Rebels, that talks about the different ways that we resisted um, from working slow to putting glass and master's food to staging insurrections, right? (laughs) All of those things are really important. And this movement moment builds upon previous movement moments. So there might be ebbs and flows, but I don't think that um, we don't have to reach back, right? I mean, we have to reach back, but you don't have to jump back, right? We can just say, well, what happened in our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation? So I think that's how things unfold. Um, Of course, we draw tremendous inspiration 
from the Black Power Movement. They've been, many of the organizers with the Black Panther Party and within the Black Power Movement have been our mentors and guides and babas and mamas and aunties. Um, and that's meant everything. I'm just curious, like, how has this movement impacted you professionally and personally? And how do you feel like we could do better to protect our leaders? I really appreciate that question because as we talk about struggle, this is a new generation where a lot of the tools that we use, the social media, um, the new platforms that we have can sometimes turn activists and organizers into celebrities. So you see Tamika Mallory looking Mm. all beautiful, right, on her Instagram Mm -hmm. page, but you don't see the death threats that Tamika gets every day, right? You Mm -hmm. see us sometimes, you know, in media, having platforms on the news, but you don't see the fact that I was swatted weeks ago and had machine guns pointed at me um, in front of my children and what kind Mm -hmm. of trauma they've had to bear as well as I've had to bear. I know Mm -hmm. that I was being groomed for leadership, for traditional Black leadership before Black Lives Matter came about. That's all off the table at this point. Um, Even my academic work, I see the way academic institutions are very careful. Even my own academic institution, which I helped to build, has been reticent to provide any kind of support and in some ways very hostile towards me. And so but there becomes a choice. And I'll just tell a quick story without belaboring it too much. Um, that there was a moment in 2015 when we had moved the protest for Ezell Ford, who was murdered by two LAPD officers, Charlton Wampler and Antonio Viegas, who never had to bear any consequences for stealing the life of Mm. this young man, right? In front of his entire community, right? And then goes back and assassinates his character and then criminalizes the entire community, arresting some of the folks who were organizing on his behalf, right? So we had a protest that had moved from outside LAPD headquarters to the front of the mayor's mansion. Now, this mayor is a wannabe progressive, right? You know, white men like that who want to talk about how they're um, (laughs) like literally. We may have seen a few. Literally, Garcetti will, if you allow him to, talk about how Ben Jealous was his college roommate, how he can't be racist because he was in the Peace Corps in Ethiopia, and then proceed to speak to you in Spanish as if, you know, because he speaks Spanish, that means something to African-American folks who probably don't speak Spanish, right? (laughs) So he's terrible. And he also had befriended me before Black Lives Matter. I had a cell phone. You know, he wanted me to be one of those Black folks who he could point to and legitimize himself. Be like, look, I have a Black friend. Right, right. (laughs) So when the protest moved to the front of his house, Actually, I heard this. Well, I guess you ain't never running for office now. I heard it like audibly. You ain't never running for office now. Mm. And then as quickly as that came, 
spirit said, so what your mama got a couch, right? <laughs> because, <laughs> because I was thinking about, well, what if I lose my job, right? Yeah. What if I can't pay my mortgage? Because I'm a single mother of three kids and I work for a public university and I'm the bottom of the pay scale mm. because I'm also a black woman and we get screwed all the time. I don't know if you cuss on here, but you know what I mean, mm-hmm. right? Yes, and so- If I lose my job, you know, I have no support from any other parent, right? So what happens? And that's when spirit said, your mama got a couch. Mm -hmm. And if you got to go back to the Bay, so what? The Bay is better anyway, you know? I love the concept of you saying spirit said, spirit said, because that spirit is speaking to all of us at some one point or another. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But in this time that we're in right now, that spirit is speaking to a lot of people that it didn't speak to before. Mm -hmm. I feel that so deeply that it's not just like, there's like the, the feelings or emotion. I feel like so often in our lives, we're told to like ignore that or push it down or whatever. But like, there is a part of us that are like that know that we deserve better, know that there can be something different, know that there's something else that exists for us. Um, And moving beyond the fear of what if, the things that we think we need go away. We see with folks like uh, actor and activist Kendrick Sampson creating stuff like Build Power and collective movements in an entertainment industry like Hollywood for Black Lives. What are ways that people can use their influence and power in the service of Black Lives in the ways that are requested um, and like moving sort of beyond that fear? So I absolutely, you know, Kendrick is my little brother from another mother. He is everything. I think that he is just so amazing. And he's not one who fell into this idea that I got to wait until, you know, I make it right to speak up. Right. Mm -hmm. Kendrick is a great actor and people love him and he's not a superstar yet. Right. And so he's been down with Black Lives Matter for five years before he was on Insecure, right? Before there was an Insecure, right? And I think that that is amazing and beautiful. And I think that it speaks to this whole idea of struggle and sacrifice, of being willing to make sacrifices. I'm sure there's roles that he didn't get because he's outspoken and he's an unapologetic abolitionist, right? And I think that what he's done has been able to inspire a lot of others. So when he penned that letter, right, um, the call to make Black Lives Matter, prove Black Lives Matter to Hollywood, because, you know, after George Floyd was murdered, it becomes um, okay and even popular to say Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter. And Kendrick's like, nah, don't say it, prove Mm -hmm. it. This is how you prove it. This is how you prove it. And then you have women like Tessa Thompson, who are just, you know, another beautiful, brilliant, creative, courageous sister being willing to step on, Viola Davis being willing to step on, and even those who weren't willing to step on. And I won't say the name of a huge superstar who's also a friend who called me who did not sign the letter, right? but who called me and apologized for not signing the letter, right? And can you tell us really quickly just a a couple sentences about what the letter is demanding and asking for? 
Sure. So some of the things that it's asking for is it's saying that you can't say Black Lives Matter and still like use police on your sets, right? Mm. Let's remove police from sets. Why don't we, in fact, you can invest in two ways. Remove police from sets because police on sets are triggering to the Black people who work on sets, right? Mm -hmm. That we should not be spending this money on police on sets. And they're also overpaid and problematic. But also, you know, can we give some of these contracts to Black businesses, right? Is your catering company Black? Because there's hella Black catering companies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Can you stop contributing to narratives that create this idea that Black people are criminals Mm. and police are heroes? Mm -hmm. So those are all some of the things that are in this letter. And, um, you know, a lot of Black folks in Hollywood looked at the letter and said, you know what, we didn't even think about it this way. We didn't think about um, why we have so many cop shows. Why are there so many cop shows? We don't need like a CSI in every city. Every CSI, (laughs) every fucking city needs a CSI. (laughs) So many fucking cop shows. I literally was driving down the street and I saw like three advertisements and they were all different cop shows. And the only one I was like, okay, well, there's one with Gabrielle Union and um, Jessica. And I was like, Jessica Elba, I was like, that's the best looking one. But everything else was like (laughs) white dudes and cop uniforms and like one black guy. You know, I love Gabrielle Union and I don't want to see her play a cop. I don't care if the cop is black or a woman or uh, Latinx. I don't care. A cop is a cop. Like I heard, I don't know if y'all watch the RNC, but I, I sometimes had to had to watch it. <laughs> but what they were saying, um, actually, some of it is true. Yes, that assessment of who we are. Some of that was right on because they said, you know, on the left, people like organizations like Black Lives Matter don't even care about Black cops. They think that once you put on a uniform, you're blue. Absolutely. That's absolutely what we think. And that's absolutely proven to be true in the data. So, you know, it is. It is. So no more cop shows. Anyway, let me just get to the, um, I want to say one more thing about that question. That what Kendrick and Tessa and Viola and all of those folks were doing is what we want everybody to do from where whatever your station is, right? So wherever it is, you have power. How can you not just say Black Lives Matter, but prove Black Lives Matter? How can you be an abolitionist in the space that you occupy, whether it be as um, someone who's in Hollywood or someone who is a cook in a kitchen somewhere Mm -hmm. or a teacher or whatever it is you do. How can you usher in abolitionism in that space? Thank you for that. Um, One thing that comes up, I've seen come up in certain things that I've posted that kind of um, poke a little bit at people who aren't speaking up during this time and who seemingly, let's say, just on social media seem inactive and uninvolved in what's going on. Um, You spoke earlier about different forms of protest and how we should acknowledge those and also discuss them. But I found that very interesting because I grew up in Minnesota um, in a very, in Trump country, literally, and 20 minutes away is where George Floyd was murdered. So 
I was there when everything went down. Um, and I hear things from my people in LA who were mostly on the same page. And then on the contrary, there are people who are like, literally there are white people in the middle of this country thinking black lives matter is going to come into my house and take something from me. Obviously that's a huge mountain to climb, but what are some tools for those of us who are trying to do the work in those small spaces, like you're talking about to combat those kind of conversations of people not willing to understand what the movement is really about. I think that as Black people, we need to protect ourselves. And so with the people we love, even the non-Black people we love, there is a degree of investment that we can make. But we got to be clear that this is not our job, Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? So we're not going to cure white people of racism or, or dry every white tear. That's white people's work. Yeah. So, you know, our allies and accomplices, Yasmin will tell you, we got some dope-ass white folks. Like <laughs> White people for Black Lives be showing the dopest up. dopest white people. These, like, I can't even, you know how we all talk shit about white people sometimes? Like, we can't even... Like we go accept the white people and white people for black lives, right? Because the way they show up is just like amazing. And, you know, they're totally committed to accepting the leadership of black people, to putting in work, mm -hmm. like real work that costs them, right? That, you know, costs them fights and relationships with their loved ones. And they're doing that work. Like let Matt McGorry, he's another one in Hollywood who works with us a lot. Let Matt McGorry have those fights at his dinner table. It was something Kira brought up uh, in, a, in another conversation. She was just like, I remember going to a protest. Wait, will you share that story, Kira? Yeah. Yeah. I went to a protest and um, the white people were standing in front of the black people when the police, it was one of the first ones after George Floyd in LA and it was on uh, Melrose. I think we were on and white people stood in front of uh, black people when the cops started shooting the rubber bullets and they were like, you know, using their bodies as shields from police brutality. And it was wild. It was like, all right, all right. Y'all really, y'all put y'all money where y'all mouth is. Y'all showing up. When you start putting that, your body in front of, you know, um, I mean, it was rubber bullets, but, you yeah. know, putting their bodies out there, it's like, okay, you really... No, literally, literally. Like, so when there was a call for white people for Black lives, my sister in spirit and one of my best friends on this planet, Rosa Clemente, yes. a Black Puerto Rican activist and visionary, um, she was living in Los Angeles and she used to be part of the LMLA when she was here in Los Angeles. And... What she said is we need white people <laughs> to put their bodies between us and the police. That was her call. And, you know, Dahlia and Jason and others heard that call and formed white people for black lives. And so that's what they do. And they raise resources for us and they strategize with us. And it's really amazing and powerful work. That's what um, white people for Black Lives is aspiring to. Nice. I I think all of that was very helpful, and also checking myself and know and understanding that 
the work isn't necessarily my work to do, but I still, regardless of hearing that several times, know that there are certain spaces where my voice could actually be heard. So uh, how do you find the balance between that? Because I do get like, it's not my work to teach you, but if I see an opportunity to teach somebody, I feel like that would be missing an opportunity to maybe make some legway in helping a person understand something that they haven't before. Yeah, I think that we just have to protect ourselves. So I'm not saying you never have a conversation with a white person. (laughs) I'm saying (laughs) that I don't want to be brought in to a fishbowl where white folks are studying me And then they go back to their white homes and white communities and feel better about themselves because they heard from Melina from Black Lives Matter, right? Don't ask me if you're not willing to jump in this shit, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this is a struggle, right? This is a war. There's a war on Black people. Mm. Don't ask me to come and talk to you about what it's like to be under siege, if you're not willing to jump in on my side. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. And I think that um, we can have limited conversations that still keep us protected and ready to actually be at war. And then ask our comrades who are, you know, in those foxholes alongside us, who might be white, right? Who are white, right? To I sound like those those folks who go who happen to be right (laughs) (laughs) those white the white folks who are really willing to get down with us to say that this is part of your get down because I I just can't carry it Hmm. right Mm -hmm. the other quick thing I'll say is that it doesn't mean that um, there's never white folks in the room Um, so I think that is if we're talking to each other. And it's not a black only space. If white people want to be there and listen, um, that's fine most of the time for me. If it's not a black only space, mm-hmm. right? But no, I'm not going to tone it down for mm-hmm. you, right? Right? I'm not going to tone it down for you. And so it's kind of like that. you know how in <laughs> yeah. black churches, in larger black churches, how there's always like one white person who comes, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, what I can't stand is when the pastor starts trying to make the white person feel comfortable, right? Oh, yeah. Still be the no, black church. No, they no. can sit there. We ain't kicking them out. Mm-hmm. They could sit there, but this is still a service for us. Right. Mm-hmm. We're not shrinking to make them feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel that's something that we've thought about, like not having to code switch at the punchline, right? Like for our comedy and for our show and just like who we are. It's like, no, like we made Black Girl Magic so that we could be ourselves mm-hmm. as we are. And I do, I feel like um, a group of white people were like reaching out, especially after George Floyd. So like, many. well, what can <laughs> I do? And I like literally was like, do the work. Like I didn't have... Uh, Black history class in any of the schools I went to outside of February. We talked a little more about it. We did regular history. Everything that I've, I know about um, the Black journey and the struggle is based off of me being Black and me doing the work. And that's also their job. Like, do if you actually want to be a part of this and actually want to help, uh, you know, this country become a better country, this world become a better world, then like, you know, 
take your part in like having to do a little research and see where you can show up and, you know, do some homework. It's not going to be easy. And it's not necessarily like when they were asking me, I'm like, everything I'm going to tell you, you can go to the Internet and find too, or show up to a meeting (laughs) and find. I'm looking too. So (laughs) and I I think that's a great point, Shakira, because. Like you said, we've had to learn these things on our own by Mm -hmm. Google, by reading, by doing our own research. If we haven't had a class that like Dr. Molina's class or been fortunate (laughs) enough to have a space like that. So I, I totally hear that. And I understand why it's important for us to encourage other people who are not a part of our community to do their do the work for yourself. Yeah, because me telling you. It, like you said, Dr. Molina, it feels like a way for people to kind of um, exonerate themselves from, well, I spoke to the, a black lady and she told me X, Y, Z and I can sleep tonight. And also, too, in regards to Matt McGorry, he's sitting at different dinner tables than I am. So, yeah, you talk to us. Now go sit and talk to your family, the people that you mm-hmm. actually need to change, the people that conver- have the hard conversations that I will never have the opportunity to have because I'm not ever going to be sitting at your dinner table, you know, unless unless <laughs> you were. reminds me of <laughs> a person I went to high school. I'm sure we all got so many messages, but first of all, again, did not address this in a public forum, which again, I know not everybody has to do that, but was asking me basically kind of being like, you know, I'm not like that, right? Like asking me to give them that, okay. And that's all pass. Yeah. And I feel like (laughs) that's just another form of abuse. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's right. It is a form of abuse. It is a form of an exploitation of our labor, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. For those who don't fully understand what defunding the police and reimagining public safety is, could you briefly talk about that? Sure. So defund the police is hella simple and straightforward. It is exactly what it sounds like. Take their money and redistribute it. That's exactly what we mean. So when people say, oh, they don't mean take their money. No, yes, we do. We mean take their money. Every major city in this country is spending around 50% of its tax base on police, of its general fund on police. In Los Angeles, it's 54%. Police, one, evolve from slave catching. You cannot make that right. You can't, as ridiculous as it sounds to say, let's just reform chattel slavery. So defund the police is an abolitionist. It's half of an abolitionist frame, right? It's take their money, topple the system that abuses and brutalizes and kills our folks. Um, And the reimagined public safety is also about imagining and building something else, remembering that we need community safety, but for Black folks, that's not grounded in policing. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yes. mm -hmm, So we appreciate you so much coming on and sharing all uh, of your information on how people can get active and um, sharing your story. Where can listeners get more information on BLM? And do you have any like last bits of advice for them? Sure. So um, we have pretty strong social media platforms and folks can find out more on Instagram at BLM Los Angeles on Twitter at BLMLA 
and we have a Facebook page. We also have a website, blmla.org. Um, all of our information is posted. One of the things we get a lot of like um, emails about is how they can get involved. How you can get involved is to just come to the shit that we post. <laughs> right? Okay. Just come. You don't need to ask permission. You don't have to be special. You don't have to bring anything but a mask <laughs> and some hand sanitizer, right? Just come. And, you know, we need you. We need everybody to be involved in the movement, right? And so I just want to lift up that Black Lives Matter is made up of just regular ass people. Like I'm a regular ass mama of three kids. Yasmin ain't that regular. No, no. hey now. But, but she's kind of <laughs> regular. <laughs> and, you know, we got folks who are students, you know, my kids are 10, 13 and 16. They think they run DLA, right? <laughs> and you don't have to speak if you don't want to speak. You can speak if you're once we train you, um, you can offer whatever it is that you have. Just bring it. If you got a song to sing, we are missing that shit. We need more artists that are involved in BLM, whatever it is you have to bring. If you bake. So we we got this comrade, this um, uh, Sikh comrade named Deep, who is dope as hell. And he's also a dad. And he and his wife have taken on making sure that the children always have something special at the protest. So he always like brings them Capri Sun and Gatorade. His mother, who I would guess is in her 60s, has started coming to the protests. And you know what she does is the day before the protest, she fucking throws down in the kitchen. She makes sure all the activists get homemade Indian food to mm. eat after the damn protest. She doesn't say anything. She just comes with this little wagon of food <laughs> and hands it out to all the protesters. Make sure it's enough for you and your family. And we have been eating off of Mrs. Singh's food for the last several weeks after these protests. So whatever it is you have, just bring it. There's this other brother who makes flags. He brings like material and spray paint so that people can go make Black Lives Matter flags during protests. Don't wait. Just come, bring whatever gifts, talents, resources you have to the movement, and they'll all be welcomed in. Hmm. I love that point about, you know, it does. you don't have to be special. Show up where you can. Everyone has a space in the revolution. Um, so get with it. I uh, appreciate you sharing your time with us and your knowledge. I guess it's time for us to say goodbye to you, unfortunately. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate yes. it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. It's been so informative. Peace, y'all. Bye. Peace, All right. peace. peace. We have more work to do here today, though. We have a woman who um, is at a bit of a crossroads and needs some advice from OOD. But first, we are going to take a little break. Welcome back, y'all. It is time for us to jump into that advice letter. Shakira, what you got for us today? Okay. Dear OOD, I'm an accomplished mid-30s Black with a sprinkle of Latina, mm -hmm. mother of one, and very, very single woman. <laughs> All caps. Okay. <laughs> okay. We okay. know that. 
I find myself crushing on this beautiful brown skin delight and I just can't. Can I? I am a woman. She is a woman. But I just love the D <laughs> shit even more. So after Coochie. Okay, so she, she loved D. Okay. <laughs> um, I hated the U-Haul lesbian relationship. I'm not ready to put in all the work required for any serious relationship. And did I mention I love the D? I like the whole <laughs> dominant in the bedroom good real package. Okay. <laughs> yes, tried that too. But, X-rated. Yes. Uh, but she is bomb. So we're back to the woman. Her energy just wraps around me and fills me up. Her lips look soft and succulent. Capital oh. K. Oh. Okay. Uh, her Jesus. voice There's no peaceful. K in succulent. There's no K in succulent. But she put one. Is <laughs> she trying to suck them lips? Oh, uh, wow. I can't give up the D again. That shit was torture. How do I choose? Sincerely, lost girl dreaming of rocking her world. Uh, wow. I'm scratching my head right now. There's <laughs> so much. So much to yeah. unpack here. <laughs> yeah, I think first, you don't have to have a, a U-Haul lesbian relationship. There are plenty of lesbians out there just looking to hook up with you. Yep. Uh, so that whole serious relationship is um, you just doing a, a stereotype right there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, you clearly like men and women. So mm-hmm. you don't I don't think you have to choose one. Yeah. You just choose who you're with at the time. And if that relationship turns into a long term thing, then it's up to you whether or not you want to participate in it. Mm-hmm. And and the D can be very good. With a prosthetic or a, a toy, um, you know, maybe you didn't like the toy that you w- was used mm. on you uh, before. But uh, let me tell you, I've just dove back into the world of sex toys and they have upgraded some stuff. <laughs> so I think you could get something that, that's nice. Yeah, girl, it sounds like you got some work to do on yourself, some soul searching if you're attracted to oh girl. Um, so what happens if you say that? It's okay to love, love the coochie. Yes. Get the D and get the P if that's what you want. Uh, they are both available. You don't have to be in any relationship that you don't want to be in. Mm. Um, if this that one part. woman requires a relationship and that's not what you want, well, then you got to leave them suck you lips behind mm-hmm. and you can get the dick down from. Okay. <laughs> succulent. Yeah, there you go. They're like go. a vampire. <laughs> like, damn, how much sucking you gonna do? You gonna right. drain all the blood? <laughs> I mean, she love the D, so maybe a lot. Yeah, oh. she, she, yeah she do love the D. Um, lost girl dreaming of rocking her world. <laughs> you... You need to figure out what you want and be vocal about it. Yeah. And don't be ashamed. Like, love is love is love is hookup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I say step into reality. Stop dreaming of rocking our world and do it. See how you like it. I bet you you will. It sounds like you will. All right. Go forth and live your best life unashamedly. For our listeners at home, thank y'all for hanging out with us through this, um, you know, heavy conversation. We gonna get through it. We gonna defund the police and we will have uh, more safety for our people and for generations to come. Um, Make sure to share, review uh, this podcast. We want to know what y'all think. Where are y'all at? 
and come over and hang with us on social media. You know, we're at Obama's Other Daughters on Instagram, at OOD Improv on Twitter, and on Facebook at Obama's Other Daughters. If you need some advice or you know someone who does, send us a letter at oodpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear it. We will see you all next week. Thanks again. Bye. Adios. Bye. You Down is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.